Welcome back, folks. We are back again. It's Chase and Josh of Factor Fantasy. That's Chase. I'm Josh, and we're here to give you episode seven in the Ahsoka series here today. Obviously, Ahsoka's only got the first season out, so we're in season one, episode seven. Really excited to kind of move into another one of these episodes that has got some action to it. It's got some storyline to it. We get... uh, we get a little uh, fun here. So I know Chase went ahead and took us through last week's episode, episode six. I'll be the one in the driver's seat here today for episode seven. Before we get started, I'm going to turn the floor over to Chase to say a few words. Yeah, man. Uh, this one, it's kind of like the pre-climax to next week. So, you know, we're getting to the top of the mountain like we always say on this show. And it's been an awesome ride. Uh, you know, we've been on this series for almost you know, a little over a month now. And that's what's nice is it's uh, familiar, but it's actually been really fun to cover a brand new series for once, which we don't get to do very often because there's so much content that we already are planning we have to cover. So with that, man, uh, I'll turn it over to you. You're going to take us away and Malice in the Chalice, man. Cheers. Cheers, bro. Yeah, you know, that's a great point that you mentioned it being one of the newer series that kind of came out of nowhere it was teased a little bit a year and some change ago and it kind of came out and there wasn't a whole lot of marketing for it so it's not something that we were wildly on the edge of our seats for something similar to house of dragon where we knew that was coming out and we were just there for it we knew it was coming we thought it could be good and it just decided to strike when the iron was hot and i'll, I'll say the ahsoka series really has uh, exceeded the expectations that i had for it and there's some obviously there's some things with it and I'll, we'll discuss a little bit of that here today but for the most part for a, a series that they just put together and announced within a year and a half and, and also got the casting together did all the filming all the, the the sequences the cgi the special effects they did a really good job in a relatively short amount of time so i, I think that's really impressive but uh yeah man to kind of dig us on in and to start us up here for episode seven today this episode starts and opens with General Arison Dula, and she's appearing before the Chancellor in the Senate Committee, and she's answering for her actions of disobedience and authorizing her own mission when it was unapproved. Hera uh, tells him that she was protecting the people of the Republic the best way that she knew how, and Senator Ziono, this guy, been giving her a hard time for a couple episodes now, just, just always in her fucking way. He says, I see and you were protecting the New Republic by ignoring direct orders? And she replies, no, I protected the New Republic by ignoring you. Boom, roasted. Right in front of everybody, too. That whole little hearing room just fucking roasted his ass. But anyways, uh, the Chancellor acknowledges that Hera's actions brought to light that there, at the very least, was an incident on the planet Satos. Senator Zeno doesn't buy the report, thinks it's all a child's fairy tale. And Hera tries to tell him that Morgan Elsbeth was leading a coordinated effort by the Imperial Remnants. And at this point, Senator Ziono objects and says there was no proof of any coordination between the scattered number of Imperial forces. He calls it you know, a sensational term. There's something weird about this guy, man. You know what? I'm going to stop this right here, Chase. What's, what's going on with the Senator Ziono? You think he's a bad guy? You know, I, don't, I wouldn't be surprised if he's actually working for the Imperials himself and he's trying to 
you know, push it under the rug, you know, sweep all these events under the rug. Because you know, even in a couple minutes when Captain Tava says something about Mandalore, he he tries to slide it. Oh, yeah, a warlord acting of his own accord. So do you think he's trying to, you know, pull the wool over everyone's eyes and make it seem like and he's actually working for the Imperial forces himself? Or is he just a dumbass? Like, what, what do you think it is? Yeah, man, he's like the Barty Crouch Jr. of Mad-Eye Moody. Like, <laughs> I don't know. My first impression of him, too, was... You ever seen, like, one of those guys at the party that's just being, like, an asshole for no reason? Like, just being an ass for no reason. Like, giving no one benefit of the doubt. Like, you're basically on trial here, is what's going on. And he's not... <laughs> Like, nothing's fair. I mean, of course, you know, life isn't fair. That's part of it. But at the same time, dude, like, the guy literally reminds me of if you have that one guy at the party that's just choosing to be an ass for no reason to everyone there. And no matter what Hera or anyone said, like, he just, like, interrupted with his own thoughts on top of that. So I'm all for, you know, the process of law. But at the same time, dude, like guy has a stick up his ass i hate to say that but it sounds like it what are your thoughts man yeah i think he could be a bad guy i think he's working for the empire the imperial remnant forces himself and he's just trying to divert everyone's attention away from it using his position to hide what's actually happening and trying to explain it away with a few words and almost talking down on these people who think that the imperial remnants are coordinating a, a an effort to get back on top i think he's doing it on purpose i think he might be in one of their pockets you know maybe not moff gideon per se maybe not uh you know what's his name grand admiral thrawn per se but i think he's in someone's pocket i think someone's buying his little loyalty on the old government board i think he's a senator with a with a agenda, if you will. And I think that he's doing his best to make it seem like there's no problem. So that way, when there becomes a problem, no one's prepared for it because he took his time and his coordinated efforts to make them look the other way. So I think this motherfucker is going to be a problem. But in any event, to continue on from there, at this point, Carson Tava speaks up and asks about the conflict on Mandalore. Senator Ziona claims that that was an isolated incident of a warlord acting on his own accord, and there's no proof of a greater conspiracy, and thus no immediate threat to the new republic that they've built this far. And Hera tells him, if Thrawn returns, that will change quickly. And Senator Ziona emphasizes the word, if. And Hera responds, I don't know what frightens me more, the possibility of what might happen, or your unwillingness to see it. And Senator Ziono says, I'll tell you what I see. I see a general who abuses her authority for personal gain, and I will not stand for it. I motion that General Sindula be court-martialed for disobeying a direct order. And there's, a, like, like, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if Senator Ziono is secretly working with the Imperial Remnants and is trying to use that position to get the New Republic to ignore these threats and assist in, being, in bringing the Empire back into power. Again, I don't have any evidence of this, but it's just I wouldn't be surprised. And it's just the kind of feeling I get. Yeah, he's, he has to go to such extreme lengths as to have her uh, court-martialed for disobeying a direct order where everyone else, like, no one else on that whole committee is saying anything. No one's sitting there like, yeah, Senator Ziono, we're backing you up. No, they're all just kind of trying to figure out the facts. You know, the chancellor at the top, she's listening to Harrison Duell's uh, accounting of events. All the rest of the senators are listening there. They're pretty quiet. But this motherfucker just yapping at the mouth, you know, trying to shame her, make her look silly, acting like what she did was so, so wrong. 
that it just it, it doesn't sit right there i smell a rat i smell a rat chase i'll tell you what <laughs> <laughs> but in any event to continue on from there uh c-3po you know here's a little nostalgia for our, our og star wars fans he arrives from alderaan on behalf of senator leia organa and he presents a data transcript and of course, Senator Ziono objects heavily because he's an idiot. But anyways, the, the transcript shows that Senator Organa personally sanctioned General Sindula's reconnaissance mission to Satos. And she, Leia, claims that she was unaware that Senator Ziono held a vote against such a mission without her. So they fucking played him. They, they, they found a loophole real nicely. And C-3PO says, Senator Organa is willing to overlook this misstep but asks that you address any further concerns to her directly in her role as the leader of the Defense Council. And that shuts up Senator Ziono and settles the matter. Court is dismissed. So that was fucking badass. And then the Chancellor comes up and asks for a word with Hera on the side. And she says that she knows Leia did not authorize this mission. And Hera tells her that Leia, in fact, did eventually. Like, later on than what they all had thought. But from this point, the Chancellor asks Hera how real the threat of Thrawn's return is, and Hera tells her that they have to prepare for the worst and hope for the best. This is when the title sequence hits, and the scene moves to the Pergil space whales flying through hyperspace. We've got Ahsoka on board her ship. She's practicing and staying sharp with her training drills. And we have this really cool old hologram of Anakin that's playing in the background while she's training. And I, I wrote down some of the dialogue that Anakin's uh, transmission w- was saying, and it, he says... In this war, you will face more than just droids. General Grievous, Asajj Ventress, even Count Dooku. You could face any one of them on the battlefield. As your master, it's my responsibility to prepare you. So practice these forms often. Or at least more than I do. I won't always there to be there to look out for you. If we get separated or something happens, you need to be able to make it on your own. Don't be afraid. Just remember what I taught you and trust your instincts. I know you can do this, Ahsoka. And that's when the projection hologram ends. And Ahsoka tells Hu Yang that Anakin made 20 or more of those recordings and that was his final one. And Ahsoka also tells Hu Yang that Anakin was a good master. And Hu Yang tells Ahsoka that the whales may be reaching the end of their journey. And he comes to this conclusion because the calculations of his internal programming shows that the whale's speed is decreasing. So Ahsoka tells Yu Yang that once they drop out of hyperspace, they're going to go find Sabine. Hu Yang asks her how, and she says, because the reason he asks her because uh, they are in a new galaxy, so their star charts are useless. And she tells him that Sabine came with the enemy, and when they find the enemy, they'll find Sabine. And Hu Yang says, that's all assuming the star whales took them to the correct galaxy, system, and planet that Sabine was taken on. And Ahsoka says, I think the odds are pretty good. Hu Yang says, no. No, in fact, they're terrible. Astronomically terrible. And Soka says, well, you should have said something. And Huyang gets really defensive and says, I did, but... And then he realizes that she's just messing with him. And they exit hyperspace. And almost immediately after they exit hyperspace, they hear explosions and realize that they're in an Imperial space minefield and they're exploding all over the place. And the Perdual are tired of getting hit. They hyperdrive themselves away, leaving Ahsoka and Huyang to their own devices. They finally clear the minefield and see that they have, in fact, been brought to the right spot as they see the enemy. And a squadron of destroyer ships are released to take out Ahsoka. She goes to the debris field, attempting to outmaneuver the enemy pilots. And from there, Grand Admiral Thrawn is notified by Enoch that the space whales triggered the minefields and that a T-class 
Jedi shuttle was amongst them. And Thrawn deduces that Ahsoka Tano is alive and well. Morgan Elsbeth gives Thrawn everything the Inquisitorial database had on Ahsoka. And from there, Thrawn discovers that her master was General Anakin Skywalker. And he confirms with Enoch that there is only one starship. And Thrawn has him withdraw and stand by. Morgan asks why he wants to give up the pursuit. And he tells Morgan that they'll be one step ahead if they let her go on a path of her own choosing. And from here... Ahsoka realizes that Thrawn himself was behind the attack on them while they were trying to escape in the debris field. Huyang attempts to run a scan to see if they can find Sabine, and from there the scene actually does cut over to Sabine, and she's enjoying her reunion with Ezra Bridger. She's catching up with Ezra on all that he missed, how the Empire fell at the Battle of Endor, that the Emperor is presumed dead, and there's a new Republic, and Zeb is training recruits, and Hera is commanding a fleet. So Ezra asks how she found him, and she tells him it's complicated. He asks if it's the usual level complicated or worse, and she admits that it's worse. And he says they can talk about something else, but getting home is kind of important. So she tells him that Ahsoka has taken her on as an apprentice, and he is surprised by that and gives her a hard time, albeit jokingly. Ezra asks Ahsoka if Ahsoka's coming to this planet, and Sabine doesn't answer. And so Ezra says, oh, it's complicated, to which Sabine answers yes. And the, the scene then moves over to Balin's skull and Shinhati, and they're on an overlook hill and see the group of Nati and Ezra and Sabine in the distance. And before anything happens there, the scene then shifts over to the Great Mothers. They approach Thrawn and Morgan Elsbeth. Thrawn tells them that he needs their assistance and asks them to find Ahsoka. So then the scene shifts back to Ahsoka and Huyang. Huyang tells her that he is unable to locate Sabine, and that there's too much debris and his scanners are being jammed. Ahsoka tells him they don't need a scan and that there's another way, so she calls out to Sabine using the Force, and Sabine is actually able to hear it slash feel it, which is interesting, because to this point, she hasn't shown a lot of uh, proclivity to being Force-sensitive. It's been uh, evading her for the majority of the series up to this point, so it was, it was great to see that you know things are starting to, to move in that way for her. And Ahsoka tells Yang that she's sees Sabine and the scene cuts back to the great mothers and they were able to use their magic and the spheres to pinpoint Ahsoka's exact location and from there Thrawn orders Enoch to open fire on those coordinates and the scene moves back to Ezra and Sabine Sabine tells Ezra that she's not sure what happened but it was a familiar feeling and this was talking about the Ahsoka reaching out to her through the force the scene cuts back to Ahsoka and Yang and they're under fire but Ahsoka tells Yang not to worry because she knows where she's going. And so she maneuvers her ship, evading all the attacks, lasers, and blasts from the enemy ships. And Thrawn is pleased that they flushed Ahsoka out of hiding. He says that he knows that Ahsoka's focus is finding Sabine Wren and tells him to re-engage their opponent. So the scene moves over to Sabine and Ezra. They see Balin's skull and Shinati in the distance. Ezra asks if they're friends, and she tells him no. So then the scene moves to where Balin, Skull, and Shinati are. Balin orders Shinati to contact Thrawn, kill Sabine Wren and Ezra Bridger, and take her place in the coming Empire. And Shinati asks why Balin won't help. Balin tells her that her, her ambition drives her in one direction, that his path lies in another. So Shinati contacts Enoch and tells him they have located Ezra Bridger and are sending the coordinates now. And Balin tells Shinati, One parting lesson, Shin. Impatience for victory will guarantee defeat. And that's when Shin goes with the bandits to confront Ezra and Sabine. 
Enoch notifies Thrawn that they received Ezra Bridger's coordinates, and Thrawn orders him to dispatch two gunships to assist the mercenaries. And Thrawn tells Morgan Elsbeth, if Lord Balin proves capable, we may yet win the day. And the troopers deploy on the gunships towards Sabine and Ezra. And from here, the scene moves, and the bandits attack Ezra, Sabine, and the Naughty. The Naughty don't have any real weapons. They tried to use a baby slingshot. It was really embarrassing for them. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Sabine asks if they have any real weapons. Ezra tells her that they're peaceful people, and Sabine said peaceful is fine, but he didn't tell her that they'd be helpless. And as the battle continues on, Sabine and Ezra are taking out as many bandits as they can. Ezra calls them all to circle up. And what is cool here is that the Naughty's vehicles seem to be impenetrable. So when they shell up into that form, like that full like stone form, nothing gets through. And Ezra tells Naughty to stay inside and that he'll handle it. And from there, the scene cuts over to Ahsoka, and the destroyer ships are still firing away as she's evading. And the camera pans to Balin, and as he either senses the disturbance in the sky or physically sees the flight battle, it's hard to tell. And we're cutting back to Sabine and Ezra here, and they're surrounded, and Shinati approaches. And Ezra asks about Shin Hati, and Sabine tells him that Shin is like him, Ezra, without a sense of humor. And he says, lightsaber? She says, oh yeah. He goes, great. <laughs> and the scene cuts back to Ahsoka. She says she needs to get down there. Yang reminds her of the standard Jedi protocol of not landing while under attack. She tells him that she doesn't need to land. Yang is concerned because they messed up the maneuver last time they tried it because Yang got the timing wrong. But Ahsoka has the confidence that they can do it properly this time. So Yang activates the sliding stairs for her to slide out at a specific angle, and she hits the ground and rolls up. They nailed it. The destroyer ships are still chasing Yang, and they have got no idea that Ahsoka is no longer on board. And here we go. Ahsoka starts to make her way across the land, and blocking her path is none other than Balin motherfucking Skull. And we're about to get Ahsoka versus Balin round two. How excited were you for this round two matchup, Chase? Oh, I was pumped. It's fucking awesome. Finally met Daddy Skull again, <laughs> just in the wake. But uh, you know, she's as we talked about, you know, two weeks ago. She's more prepared this time. So I'll let you take it away, man. For sure. And to your point, the last time they met, he knocked her straight off the fucking cliff after she tried to grab the damn map and it burned her hand. She made a bunch of mistakes, and we're gonna see if she's learned from those mistakes and if her time with Anakin in the weird purgatory between life and death. Uh, helps out at all, so we're going to find out. And Balin addresses Ahsoka. He says, Well, now this is a surprise. I didn't expect to see you again. Ahsoka asks, Disappointed? Balin says, No. However, I can't allow you to interfere. And Ahsoka says, I don't have time for this. And Balin tells her, That I know. He activates his saber. And Ahsoka activates hers. They engage, and right as they engage, the scene moves back to Sabine and Ezra, and they're cornered. Sabine wants to give Ezra back his lightsaber. Ezra declines and tells her that it's her saber now and that he doesn't need it. He's going to fight with only the Force. And Sabine says that she needs more than that herself. So the battle begins, and as that battle begins, the scene moves back to Ahsoka and Balin. They're going blow for blow in a highly contested saber fight. This is sick battle choreography, dope maneuvers, and this is what high-level fighters look like. This is a lot different than when we try to see Sabine Ren fight Shinhati in Episode 1. This is what high-level battle skill looks like on screen. It was beautiful to see. And while that's happening, the scene does shift back to Ezra and Sabine, and Shinhati almost takes Ezra's head off from behind, but he ducks it just in time and laughs it off, and he tells Shin, close, 
And that reminded me a lot of like Sirius Black when he was laughing at Bellatrix and Harry Potter. Did you get that similar vibe, bro? Yeah, man, absolutely. And we'll bring this up in the debates, but Ezra is showing his skill, man, because the fact that he he basically had no fear too, and just handed Sabine his lightsaber and was like, you know, the force is my weapon. Like I'll be just fine here. And with that, I'll let you take it away, brother. For sure. So Sabine was trying to fight with her guns and laser blasters. And she finally pulls out her saber, takes out one of the bandits and runs to help Ezra, who was using the force to ward off Shinati's attacks. And Sabine engages in attacks, which Shinati defends and pulls back a bit and takes stock of the situation. And she realizes that she is outnumbered. And Ezra looks at her and says, it's not looking good for you. And then the gunships arrive from Thrawn to aid Shinati. And Sabine tells Ezra to take her now. And he goes to grab her, but Shin force throws him and re-engages in battle with Sabine. As soon as that happens, the scene cuts back to Ahsoka and Balin. More dope fighting sequences. And it gets to the point where Balin grabs Ahsoka's sword hand. And he says, you can't defeat me. And Ahsoka says, perhaps. I don't have to. And Hu Yang lays down some cover fire smoke, which allows Ahsoka to steal Balin's mount and ride off, leaving Balin in the dust. And Valen seems like he's standing there trying to contemplate his next move. And from here, the scene shifts back to Sabine and Ezra. The gunships land and troopers pour out to surround Sabine and Ezra. The scene cuts to Thrawn and he tells Morgan Elsbeth that the tactics they use, a counter-encirclement tandem, and Morgan thinks that they have them at this point. And from here, Thrawn notices something's off. He says, our side is short one mercenary. Where's Balin's skull? When the scene moves back to Sabine and Shin battling it out, Ezra Force moves Sabine out of the way of a potential killing blow. Sabine uses her Mandalorian fire shooter and gets back to her feet. And they are completely surrounded now, and Shin Hati gives the order to destroy them. And Ezra comically tries to convince Shin to take them as prisoners, but she ain't having none of that shit and tells the troops to fire. And just before that happens, a trooper's body flies across the, the, the different, the, the little like seam that they had there. He flies right across it, and Ahsoka arrives, and she jumps off the howler. So Shin attacks Ahsoka, and Ahsoka doesn't even have to pull out her saber. She knocks her ass to the ground with a hand-to-hand combat and the force. And Ezra and Sabine are taking out as many troopers as they can. And from here, the scene shifts back to Thrawn, and he says, What a rare sight, almost like the Jedi of old. Recall the gunships. Call off the aerial pursuit. These are unfortunate but acceptable losses given the absence of Lord Balin. In the grand scheme of things, might, one might even call this first match with Tano a success. And Morgan Elizabeth replies, I see only our enemies reunited. And Thrawn says, let me show you what I see. With our enemy distracted, the cargo transfer is now almost complete, which means we shall soon leave this forsaken place. Ahsoka Tano has lost the one thing she could not afford to lose today. Time. Time is very much on our side now, and I shall keep it that way. And the scene moves back to Sabine, Ahsoka, and Ezra, and the troopers are retreating as ordered, leaving Shinati alone against Sabine, Ahsoka, and Ezra. And Ahsoka tells her, surrender your weapon, I can help you. But Shinati turns away and sprints off. And Sabine is about to give chase, but Ahsoka stops her and lets Shin go. Sabine tells Ahsoka that she thought... Ahsoka was dead. Ahsoka jokes that she wouldn't miss this reunion. And Ahsoka turns her attention to Ezra, and she is happy to see him. Huyang finally arrives and parks a starship. Ezra introduces a naughty to Sabine and Ahsoka. Ezra says, guys, I'm getting a feeling. I think I might be going home after all. 
and the camera pans out to show us the joy of the reunion and how happy they are together to finally be in that space of, you know, but they know Ezra is no longer dead. He's no longer banished in a galaxy on his own. They are in unfortunate circumstances, but they're at least together, and it's a nice, wholesome moment, and that's how the episode closes out. So, Chase, let me know what you had for your takeaways here on the episode as a whole, and, yeah, just dive right into it. Yeah, man, it was a it was a great episode. It was definitely building. Um, it uh, like piece by piece, it just fell into place perfect. I mean, even in the beginning, uh, you had that classic nostalgia to get us hooked with that C three PO moment. I did not see that coming. It's one of my favorite parts. It was fucking awesome. Um, and then as the as it progressed, you know, uh, we definitely saw more into Sabine and Ezra Bridger. Bridger but then Ahsoka, uh, you know, as she continues her journey, you got that big-ass battle that we didn't know was coming in this episode between her and Daddy Skull, Balin Skull, and that was awesome, man. I mean, it still kind of showed me that Balin Skull, I still don't think he was really giving it his full all. I mean, just like he said, like, you can't beat me, and she said, I don't have to. I mean... I, I think we don't give Balin Skull enough credit because if Ahsoka is such a legendary warrior that trained with Anakin Skywalker, she still can't beat Daddy Skull, and he's just there to buy some time. I think it says a lot about the guy. Um, and then you know you you it, of course we got the whole reunion with Ezra, Ezra Bridger. We got to see Ezra Bridger in action finally. We've been hearing a lot about him. I think he definitely held his own. Uh, definitely showed he has a lot of potential there. And then uh, towards the end, it starts bringing up a lot of questions about Shin Hati and makes you really wonder about, uh, you know, her training with Balin and, and their real direction that they really aspire on what their goals are. So um, a lot of great questions there. And in the very end, it really just shows they're all just pieces of a chessboard for Thrawn. <laughs> Sorry, like, there's a reason he was okay with Balin Skull going out for going out after them on Howlers. Like, it's all to buy time. And just like he's never underestimated his opponents from the beginning. He's never underestimated Ahsoka. And here it is, is even though the whole group right now the good guys think they just scored a touchdown when really you just got to the goal line and got stopped <laughs> is what happened. So uh, we're going to see where it goes, man. But uh, what about you? What are your takeaways? I agree with you. I thought the bringing in of C-3PO early on in the episode was a good hook to get you in. And also the little Easter egg of Senator Leia Organa, where we really haven't seen much of her since the Obi-Wan series. You know, and in the timeline, she's obviously grown now since the Obi-Wan series. So it's cool to have that come out ahead of time and then get this little Easter egg back where it just mentions her. It doesn't show her anything like that, but it does mention her by name and the fact that she's a leader of the Defense Council. I thought that was great. And again, they are building up that this senator could be a little rat, you know, it could be a little uh, you know, rat in the, in whatever you want to call him. But I, I think he, yeah, I think he's a, I think he's a dirty guy. But from there, we got, we got some really cool action. You know, we, after Ahsoka got out of the space whale's mouth, we got this minefield that she's got to go through, these destroyer ships. We, we got space 
fighting and then they go into the the debris field on the planet trying to destroy her there they uh, thrawn ends up calling it off you get to see a little bit about thrawn's tactics throughout the episode that's what he's really known for he's a tactician he's fantastic at leading uh, as a military leader and, and leading his his people in a battle and you got to see a little bit of of his mindset we're going to send these things here we're going to pull them back we're going to see what our enemy does next he has a he has everything well thought out and nothing's out of place and even when there are quote-unquote losses he explains why they're acceptable and then he does he does a quick reconsideration of everything else and is able to adjust from there so he's it's really it was really cool to see his mindset and the way he approaches things very matter of factly he's not emotionally involved in anything all, all of it is is just like facts logic numbers uh, statistics ratios like all of this stuff you know he's he's thinking all of this uh, in the beat of seconds while these things are happening in real time so it was really cool to see his ability and what his strengths are again which is is leading a military unit and uh, i thought that was great and to your point too we got to see ezra bridger in action i was kind of bummed out that we're only seeing him utilize a force i did kind of want to see what he was able to do with a saber in his hand and maybe we'll get some of that next week you know but i thought it was cool to see him fight he does have a level of proficiency with utilizing the force as, as we were able to to view right there on screen we had the whole sabine slowly coming along in the force herself able to feel and hear and sense ahsoka calling out to her which is a far cry from the very beginning or even like the, the episodes that immediately followed you remember she tried to when she was fighting shinati for i don't know the third or third time maybe the second time how many times did they fucking fight throughout this damn series dude the motherfuckers like they just kept going at it right but she tried to use a force at her when they were trying to get the map and ended up pushing like he she thought it was going to push her face and she flinched and realized that sabine has no ability in the force so you know this progression this slow progression is really really cool to see of her coming along and you know, maybe that next week will will expand to her her utilization and ability in the force so i thought that was great and then we got to see again round two valen skull versus ahsoka tano and it, even though it was a closer contested fight this time again i i agree with you in the fact that he was i don't think he was giving it his 100 percent all either he was trying to stall her was trying to, to to delay her he wasn't fighting her to kill her that's why she asked if he was disappointed and he i answered honestly he's like no i'm not disappointed but i can't let you interfere i got shit to do that if you interfere you're gonna fuck all this stuff up and i can't have it so you know <laughs> i'm gonna do my best to detain you here as long as i can you know she was able to use uh, the underhanded tricks of the smoke fire that uh Hu yang dropped on above him so then stole his ride and mounted off but you know, when they were going at it, it was blow for blow. You couldn't really tell who had the advantage, and he didn't seem to be giving it his all. So I thought that was another thing, too, because usually in these series, after a, a crushing defeat that she like she suffered a couple episodes back, then they she goes to fight the big bad again. Normally in these series, it's a, it's a win for, you know, maybe it's a hard-fought battle, but it's usually a win, a clear win, uh, or a death fatality win for the good guy. In this situation, it wasn't. You know, she obviously was able to to get away, and we guys, you can kind of consider that a win. But she didn't defeat him in the field of battle. You know, she was able to hold him off long enough before she found an escape route that she was able to utilize with her partner, who's a droid who's flying a plane. Like, imagine if he wasn't there. You know, what would have happened? Who knows? You know. But in any event, it was it was cool because it was different than what we were used to. 
where normal use is viewing a good guy. It's almost like that Rocky shit, you know? Rocky gets beat by this person, goes and trains hard, tries to fight them again, and ends up pulling off a close win, right? That's kind of like how it goes throughout all the fucking Rocky movies. And you think you're going to have that here? And, you know, she fought Balin Skull, got knocked off the damn ledge, comes back in, and you're thinking, yeah, it's going to be a really close fight, but she's going to somehow maybe use a cool sword maneuver, lightsaber maneuver, catch him somehow, and she just never does. She just ends up needing to run away. (laughs) But I don't know. Either In any event, I thought it was really cool to see that he's clearly not uh, against her. Obviously, he's not on her side, but he doesn't care. what. It's almost like he, he doesn't care about her. All he wanted to make sure is that he, she didn't fuck up his plans. That's all he He's like, listen, I can't let you interfere here. We got some shit we got to do. Like, just fucking relax. And she's like, well, I got to do this. And it's like, well, we're going to fight now. So, but it's not like, I don't think he ever has had it in his head that I'm going to fight this individual to kill them because I want them dead. Like, in my mind, he's more like, this is kind of a necessary action I have to take if I want my further plans to come to fruition. That's kind of how I view it, is that if I want X, Y, and Z to happen, I guess I got to fucking go through this individual because I think that they're going to fuck it up. So I don't want to fight you. I don't want to kill you, but I guess I have to. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think that's kind of like, that's what I think more of Bayon's goal versus him being an actual bad guy who wants to kill the good guys. And then, you know, I don't think he's like an assassin like Darth Maul or anything who's there just with the sole intention to kill the Jedi. Like, no, I think he's got his shit that he's got to do. He's got to make sure no one fucks up the shit. And if someone gets in the way, he's got to do what he's got to do. That's the kind of way I view this guy. And then, you know, just kind of close out the episode too. The fact that what was up with the Shinati just fucking sprinting away, just fucking running away from the battle. Like, it was, we can help you. And then she just runs, you know, like, I don't, <laughs> you're supposed to be a warrior, you know, like, I don't know, dude. It, I get it, I guess. But just, <laughs> she uh, didn't go down fighting. No, she didn't go down fighting sure. at all. She didn't even get taken prisoner. Like, she just, <laughs> she's like, I see you later guys. And just ran away. And I wonder if that's ever going to cause some tension between Balin Skull and Shinati in the future of him constantly leaving her to do things and him going off on his own. Because this is not the first time he's done that. He always tells her, like, even when they fought in the forest, he's like, go find them in the forest. <laughs> and you know, he always just gives her orders to do things. I wonder if that's ever going to cause a friction of like, hey, you're telling me to do all these things, but you're not doing it yourself. Like, I don't even know what the fuck you're doing. Like, I'm just sitting here like, blindly trusting you, you know. So I wonder if this is ever going to cause any friction in the future. Maybe not. But... In any event, it was interesting to see there that Balin left her out and and to to battle that out, and then even Thrawn pulled back his people, his reinforcements, because he didn't want any more losses on that end. And then she just a sitting duck out of water, <laughs> you know. So she kind of got the shit hand in this episode. But this episode was cool because you got to see all these things come together in a, a relatively shorter. What was it, thirty-seven minute episode? Not not a very long one. But a lot of this came together. It was good action, good storyline, kind of building off of the stuff. There are a few problems I have that we'll address here in the debate side of things just a little bit. But uh, in terms of overall takeaways, I thought it was a good episode. I enjoyed it. I, it was, uh, it was, it had a little bit of everything, but not too much in any one where anything stood out crazily. Like I wouldn't say like, oh my god, if, if like if I was talking to somebody and they're like give me one ahsoka episode that i need to watch to really get hooked i wouldn't give them this episode but like i wouldn't be like this is the worst one that i've seen either you know i think it did a good job like i said of 
of keeping you interested along the way and also continuing to build the stories. Th- those are my takeaways of the episode. Did you want to say anything on that before we shift into the, the, your debate for the day? Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, think if Obi-Wan just did that after Qui-Gon Jed just got fucking stabbed through the chest, man. He just put down his his lightsaber as the lasers with him. It's just like, like scary movie too. When he walked into the exorcist room, he's just like, fuck this. <laughs> I am out. That's basically what she did, man. Excuse my language there, but... I mean, I, I get it. Like, I mean, was she really going to prevail over those three? No, obviously not. Like, you had Ahsoka, Ezra Bridger, and, and Sabine that she barely took down in episode one, right? Before Sabine started training. <laughs> but, I mean, it's just like, think about it with everyone else, right? Imagine if, like, Obi-Wan did that when Darth Maul had just taken out Qui-Gon Jinn and he was the only one there. He's like... F this man I guess it's yours now I guess it's yours like it's like it makes you wonder I'm playing the great debate great debate card real quick on this because this is a serious matter in the Star Wars Jedi apprentice master and apprentice world right it makes you wonder can you actually trust your apprentice at that point is Shin Hatid trustable like can he really send her off to do things because imagine if he's like okay so i want you to infiltrate this starship and she just gets there and there's some stormtroopers that way are below her and she's like you know that's still a lot of people man like i can't do it today i'm gonna need some more training (laughs) just all ass off like i don't know like you would think yeah, of course, we don't see anything right here, but at least not to my knowledge, but you would think there would be consequences to that, right? What are, what are your thoughts on that? Is she even trustable at this point if you're Daddy Skull, Valen Skull? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, if you're going to give up at the first sight of conflict, the first, the first time things don't seem in your favor, that's not... It's not uh, ideal, to say the least. Again, to, to her credit, maybe you're just trying to live to see another day because you've got three Jedi, two Jedi and one you know Jedi trainee against one Jedi trainee, or not even the Jedi, she's like whoever, whatever Balin's training her to be, you know. Right. So it was a, it was not a winnable situation for her. But to just run away, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know if you could be trustworthy at that point. I think that is a. Uh, I think that is something. I wonder. I also wonder if Balin's gonna know. Is he gonna find out that she did that? You know, I, that's another thing because he seems really focused on something else, and I don't think she's gonna be like, "I ran away from them." You know what I mean? And who else is gonna? Who else is gonna tell him? <laughs> But point being, your question, do I think that she'd be trustworthy to send out on other missions? It doesn't seem like it, you know. I, but at the same rate, what do we want from her? Do we want her to fight to the death and let them kill her? Because that would be the situation. I, obviously, those three would likely take her prisoner. They wouldn't execute her. They'd take her prisoner or whatever and, and try to, I don't know, either convert her to their side 
or just you know, keep her imprisoned for how long until Balin's dealt with or something. But I don't know. I've never really seen someone just drop their shit and run off, man. <laughs> like, like, yeah. like at least in, in this kind of setting, being a warrior and having a direct order from your master saying, you know, take them out or destroy them. And then just sprint away from, <laughs> from the conflict. That was, uh, that was interesting. I don't know if you could trust her, man. I don't know. I, you know, cause if she's going to do that there, that doesn't seem like a characteristic or, uh, uh, if you're gonna do it once you'll do it again I guess is a better way to say that so next time she's on another planet and someone gives her a little rougher of a fight than she anticipated what's she gonna do like, like oh fuck this mission up too so sorry no you gotta find ways man so no I don't think I could trust her <laughs> he just ran away <laughs> I don't know maybe <laughs> maybe maybe gotta do some extra training maybe maybe he helps her fortify the mind a little bit more in the force, maybe teaches her some you know, new tactics and how to fight multiple people at once and at least hold them off until the help gets there. I don't know. It's hard, but at the same time, we also have to appreciate the fact that she lost all of her backup. Like Thrawn called them in and said, nah, we, like, we, that's not worth the losses. You guys got to get back to base. And then left her fucking shit like you know like i said shitting bricks in front of three jedi you know well two jedi and one jedi trainee it's, it's like i don't necessarily blame her because if they're gonna be like fuck it we're gone why would i sit there and fight too you know what i mean like no if y'all gonna leave me and it's not important to y'all i'm getting the fuck out of here too what the hell so you know i think that is something we have to take into stock as well i don't think it's a, a cut and dry answer if she's trustworthy or not i think given the situation and how she had a whole team with her and they all abandoned her at the orders of, of their leader. No doubt for sure. It's not like they just abandoned her because they thought that it wasn't going to go their way. They abandoned her because Thrawn said, get your ass back here. And, but then, you know, so if it's that mentality and it's that, that like realization, you're all alone. Hey, I had this whole plan here. We had a coordinated effort. We were going to do this. And all of my people left me. Now I'm by myself. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't necessarily blame her when we really kind of talk about the particulars of it. Some, maybe maybe I, we spoke a little too soon. Maybe we could still trust her, but we're going to need to see her in a situation where she actively chooses to give up even though things could go her way. Because that one was a non-winnable situation, and she lost all of the backup and plans that she had. So, you know what? Well, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give her a little pass, just a small pass on this, because it's a lot different. That's that's a mental fuck up in your head when you think you know if you're going into a big brawl, and you think you've got the like, three you know real good guys on your side, and all of a sudden you turn around and there's no one there, and you're facing a a group by yourself. That's that's a whole that's mentally defeating in and of itself man so you know we're gonna give her a pass we're gonna give her a pass for now we're gonna, we're gonna put a pin in that and we're gonna keep our eyes out to see if she does any bullshit like that in the future it doesn't a good look just to turn around and sprint away 
But I also kind of get it when if they're like, nah, fuck it, you're not worth us you know, doing this. Well, then fuck it, this mission's not worth it, you know? So I'm going to give her that credit. I'm going to give her that pass, but I don't want to see that shit again from her. She better fucking stay and fight next time. That's my thoughts on it. What are yours? It didn't look good. <laughs> it didn't look good. You know when, uh, like, you know, not ragging on people that are like unathletic or anything but it's like when someone tries out for the team and like they thought it looked awesome at first and then the coach is like it didn't look good though <laughs> i'll tell you that like it's all right like we're gonna let it pass but that didn't look good and here's what i'll say right now i i don't know like i want to agree with you but like i feel like i'm sticking to my guns on this that you can't because that's confidence in your abilities. Like, if you're really trained that well, you should know some tactic to at least get what your mission was, which your mission, right, wasn't to defeat Ahsoka, Sabine Wren, and Ezra Bridger. Your mission was to keep buying time, which she clearly didn't because she stopped buying time and just bolted. Then again, I guess you could argue the fact that like they were called off by Thrawn, but she's not answering to Thrawn. Well, Balin's exact words to her were, "Those are your enemies. Like destroy them and take your place in, in the coming empire." So he did tell him. To, he did tell her to kill them. <laughs> okay, well there you go. That feeds my point even worse. But here's my point, right? Is and I always bring up Anakin because Anakin's my boy. We know I'm the fucking Sith on this fucking show, man. Anakin's my boy. You can try. <laughs> That's what she could have done was at least tried. And last time I checked, Anakin tried to take on Count Dooku. That was a fucking Sith Lord by himself when Obi-Wan told him not to. And she's going to just run away in fear, which even makes me wonder, like, obviously she's struggling with siding with her master at that point, right? Because that's trust within Balin's skull. Like, you would think she would trust Balin's skull enough to think, oh, he has a plan, I'm going to be okay somehow. Or, you know, we either... <laughs> what are, what's that famous phrase? Uh, or I think it was Mulan. <laughs> or we fight together or we die with honor. <laughs> like, when they're about to take on what was it, Han Shu or whatever his name was as they were going down the mountain. It's like, no, man, you got to at least try, like, do something. She didn't even try to take on Sabine. Now, I get it. Like, you saw this legendary warrior next to you, but at the same time, your daddy, daddy's skull, didn't even have to struggle against that legendary warrior, and she got her ass handed to her two episodes ago, which you know about, because you got thrown against the brick wall. So you can't sit here and say you didn't know about that. So you can at least try and do something. So that's my problem is I feel like that's an even bigger point on why you can't trust her. You can't trust her at all because clearly the fact that Ahsoka even said, hey, come with me, you know, uh, I can solve your problems or whatever, right? And she thought about it for a second. The fact that she even thought about it and she abandoned the mission that's like ultimate untrustworthy like it shows you're struggling in what your duties are and what you're aligning with and agreeing with and we can't trust you on the battlefield that's like uh you know what that is that's a receiver in us in football that 
hasn't liked his contract and the coach is giving him a direct order and you're sitting there wondering whether or not he's going to run the route. That's exactly what that is. So like, how can you trust that? You like, you literally fumbled the football right in front of every, not even fumbled. You placed the football on the ground and handed it to the other team is what you did. I don't know. Maybe it's because she's young. Maybe she does need more training. But my argument here is Anakin Skywalker, you know, bringing up the Clone Wars because it's reference, like literally Clone Wars are referenced in this show. He went to take on Count Dooku by himself and we saw him literally lead the charge on battlefields by himself with no one backing him. And she just didn't care, man. She just took off. I don't even know. Did, I couldn't tell. Did she have the howler or she just sprinted away? Yeah, she, <laughs> she didn't even have a howler, did she? No, she ran off on foot and sprinted away. But at the same time, man, I kind of get her side. Like, y'all are going to help me out. Why the fuck am I going to die for your cause? You didn't even tell me what you're doing for it. And if it's so important, why didn't you give me no backup? Like, Balin Skull went out and did his thing on his side. Like, why, why the hell am I over here? Now I had backup here. They decide to bounce out. No, this shit ain't worth my life. Fuck that. Like, if you can't trust me with that, I can't trust you. I can't trust you as a mentor because you're putting me in an unwinnable situation. And I can't trust your your allies because they went ahead and decided that their numbers were more important than me. So, if, like, y'all are more important than me, I'm going to take my own side and say I'm more important than you. So I'm bouncing the fuck out of there. Fuck that. I ain't doing that shit. I ain't dying for you guys. You ain't gonna put me in a winnable situation and you expect me to stand there and do what? Look stupid? No, because it's not gonna help you regardless. What's gonna end up happening is I'm gonna die and then, like, nothing changes there. It's gonna take them all, whatever, if, they, if it did come to a fight to the finish or whatever, which I don't know that it would with this specific situation, but either way, they're gonna walk right through her regardless, and it's not gonna be any different than if she ran away. Like she's like, well, it's three on one anyway, so I'm not. They're gonna make pretty quick work of me, whichever way they're gonna do it. Whether they wanna, you know, bind me, take me prisoner, kill me, whatever way, it ain't gonna take them that long. So whatever I'm supposed to do here, I'm gonna lose one way or the other way. I'm just gonna choose the way that makes most sense for me to to stay alive. So fuck them, man. They can't trust me. Nah, I can't trust y'all. So I'm gonna choose myself over y'all's dumb little plan. So you don't want to be, you want to take it seriously. You don't want to trust me no more. That's fine. We can all go our separate ways. But I'm not dying for no bullshit that you couldn't even step in and fight with me for. It was so important. Why couldn't you be here too? Why aren't you helping me out? Why you got people that came and then decided they didn't want them to take the losses and then you bounced out? No, fuck that shit. I, you know what? I, I'm, I'm, I've, I've came around and I'm fully on, uh, I'm on uh, Shinati's side. Fuck that shit. I'm running too. Uh, fuck that, because he was lying. I feel like we're going an ongoing circle here, which is fine. We'll have to agree to disagree. We don't always agree, which is good. Because here's my problem. Because then you're taking the Achilles side of things. Imagine a king that fights his own battles. Wouldn't that be a sight, right? You can do that if you're on that level. You can do that if you're Darth Vader. You can do that if you're Anakin Skywalker. You can do that if you're Obi-Wan Kenobi. You can, you can even do that shit... If you're fucking, you know what? We'll even give Ezra Bridger. <laughs> it's like you can even do that if you're not if you're that. Not when you're an apprentice taking orders. Oh my gosh, it, it was embarrassing. I'm embarrassed for her, but I understand what you're saying. But I still don't like it. 
I still don't like it. So with that great debate card goes to the Shadow Realm. I'll let you take over, Jay Nelly. Sounds good, man. So my, my debate for the day, and this really pissed me off because I don't I don't think there's an answer for this. So if you guys remember and recall during this episode where the Great Mothers pinpointed Ahsoka Tano's exact location with their spears and the, like, the lasers and it all went down on the map and they showed her exact latitude and longitude, right? You remember that? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know that they've been on that planet for who knows how long. You know who else has been there that they just magically haven't been able to find for however long they've been there? Fucking Ezra Bridger. How the hell can these great mothers pinpoint Ahsoka's location the minute she lands on the planet, but can't find a motherfucker that's been there as long as them? Why has it been so long and unable to find Ezra Bridger to kill him or handle him or deal with him? How the fuck can they not find him and use the same magic they used to pinpoint Ahsoka's location for Ezra? To me, that's a huge-ass plot hole. You guys look fucking dumb as hell for sitting there telling me that Thrawn and Ezra Bridger have been in this galaxy together for years on end, and they haven't been able to find Ezra Bridger. But the second Ahsoka shows up, they're like, yeah, we need to find Ahsoka's location. We don't know where she's at. And the Great Mother's like, hey, guess what? We got some magic here. We're going to give you the exact latitude and longitude and tell you the coordinates, and you can head right there. Where the fuck was that for the whole years prior with Ezra Bridger, man? I don't know. That that That's my question to you. Yeah, man. I mean, the only thing I can come up with is, I guess, the no T. <laughs> like, it is, like, Metachlorian count, so they couldn't trace it. I guess, like, the no T built in one of those cave shells, and it couldn't, they couldn't track him because he was in one of those no T shells. That's the only thing I got, man. Props to you, because I wasn't even thinking about it. I just went along with it. <laughs> yeah, that's... I don't know, man. He was there the whole time. <laughs> Bro, and like even that, what you're saying there, which I, I would still have a hard time accepting, but they mentioned multiple times that they move every single day, like camp to camp to camp because they can't stay in one place too long because of the bandits and everyone else on the, the planet. So, and they're moving. And, and on top of that, too, remember when we first saw Bridger, he wasn't like inside one of their huts. He was outside leaning against the damn thing out in the wide open. So it's like, I don't know. There's no real, I just think it's a while, there's no real tangible reason on why you were able to find Ahsoka Tano like that with magic versus Ezra Bridger's been there, whatever, you couldn't use the magic to locate him. I, it's just, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. There's no, there's no way you can explain that in a fashion other than, you know, and that's another thing too, because then I was thinking, well, maybe... Ezra uses the force and it blocks, you know, he's able to kind of be one with the force and block that ability. And, and even that, it's like some bullshit excuse, but I'm trying to make it make sense in my head. But then at that point, Ahsoka is probably even deeper, has a deeper knowledge and ability with the force. So you would think that she would be able to do the same. So that doesn't even really check out, you know. So my point being is that. If you can use magic to find one, you should have been able to use magic to find the other. And you didn't, you weren't able to find the other. The guy's been evading you for years, but the second someone else shows up, you know exactly where they are. Nah, can't buy it, man. Big plot hole. I gotta agree with you on this one, Jay Nelly. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, I guess, I mean, yeah, that doesn't really make any sense whatsoever. Yeah, I don't have any, because the whole 
I mean, besides, like, them finding Thrawn, like, the good guy's side, the whole point of this mission was to find Ezra Bridger. Unless, maybe, here's a thought, like, maybe they just didn't care, because they weren't trying to find Ezra Bridger, they were trying to find Thrawn. So maybe that's why. Like, that's the one thing I can think of. Maybe they just didn't care to find him, because it's really been, you know, Hera and Sabine and everyone else has tried to find Ezra Bridger, maybe the, you know, the great mothers really didn't care about his existence, and they just assumed, like, yeah, someone's out there that's Force-sensitive, because we can sense that, because we can pinpoint everything of power in this world, apparently, uh... I don't know, including a guy with military force that has no medical or count, but we know he's going to be here in a minute on a big-ass spaceship because we know he's going to show up because we can sense everything. <laughs> I don't know, man. I have, I'm at a loss for words. It really makes me think a little less of this episode, actually, because I was, uh, I, I thought it was pretty, I mean, it wasn't like an enjoyably one of my personal favorites but from a overall clean cut perspective on writing I thought it was great but not so anymore I don't know man I got nothing I'm gonna stick with the crabs I think the crabs shielded off the witch's sorcery yeah I don't know man because here's the thing I would say okay fine they didn't care about him but the problem is, is Ezra Bridger's the one that trapped Thrawn and sent him to there in the first place. So yeah, you're gonna want to kill the guy that was able to do that because you don't want to fucking deal with him again. Like, you know, if you like, if this guy finds his way back and we gotta battle this guy, he's gonna fucking get us all back here again. No, dude, you want to kill that motherfucker. You know that they gotta get the enemy out of the way. So you know, I just I don't see that as a viable excuse. But if they want to use it, fine. I don't. I would respectfully disagree with them. Uh, I just think that they got uh, they got shot in the foot there with uh, with how they were decided that was the route they were going to go to find Ahsoka because like I said they could they should have just been able to do that the whole entire time but they decided not to. But in any event, that was my debate, brother. What's your debate for the day? Yeah, I got two. Uh, one, speaking of Ezra Bridger, this is a pretty simple one because it's more of an opinion than debate, but. He clearly showed us in this episode that I would put him, you know, I, I almost argue like I wonder if he's better than Ahsoka with what he showed with his force. I mean, he wasn't thinking anything of, you know, those troopers that attacked the camp and literally used the force to fend him off and really showed his skill here. How would you rank him on a Jedi level with what we've seen in this series? tough to say because we've only seen limited amounts of him and we've not seen him tested mentally emotionally or really physically yet maybe a little bit physically so it's hard for me to say i would definitely put him somewhere like well above sabine but a little bit lower than ahsoka on a hierarchy ranking of of where i think his power levels for a Jedi would be, I would put him. Yeah, I would say, I would. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say in the middle. Like you know, I would say Sabine's down here. Maybe Ahsoka's up here. And I think Ezra's like above the middle mark for sure, but definitely underneath Ahsoka, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I'd agree with you the same. Um, it makes me wonder, right? Like, if he's at his full peak, like, could he beat Ahsoka? Like, I really want to know more about his background. But, yeah, that was just my quick debate there. The big one for today, and I know we always bring up Anakin, but it deals with that scene that we saw very briefly where Ahsoka was training. And, you know, he left recordings for her. And whether she just, I don't know if she just planned on discovering them or not. But the big debate here... And this one might take some thinking because it's probably something maybe you never thought of before because I actually thought of this today and I was like, wow, that brings up an interesting point. Do you think, one, there was ever a time where based on Anakin and you know how he struggled with the loss of his mom and kind of fighting back and forth with how Obi-Wan tried to guide him towards you know, staying on the good side of the force versus going to the dark side. Do you think, one, there was ever a time where maybe he wondered if Ahsoka would give up and he left those recordings for her? He ever wondered if maybe she would struggle with what side to be on, whether it's the dark side or the good side? And do you think if he ever worried himself if he would ever given to the dark side and given to his own emotions based on everything he was going through because we saw in the prequels multiple times where you know just like when he cut the head off dooku he was like i shouldn't have done that or you know obi-wan always tried to steer him straight no matter how many times do you think there was ever anything like that where he worried with ahsoka but also maybe he worried with himself at some point during this time period where they were together? I don't think so. I think that he more than likely would have been, because she's expressed, she expressed to him a few times and we got to see the flashbacks about not wanting to fight all the time and not knowing the point of this and how her uh, leadership can end up costing people lives. And, you know, so maybe he was a little concerned that being a Jedi in its entirety wouldn't be for her. But I don't think it would, it's because like she quit cause she couldn't do it. And I also don't think it had anything to do with maybe wondering if she would move to like the darker side of things, uh, you know, or, or try to embrace that type of power for himself. I don't even think he thought about it being him going to a, a darker side. I, you know, f- it, and for all intents and purposes, the whole reason for him joining is because he thought he was going to get enough power and, and gain enough power to save Padme and you know stop prevent her from dying because he was shown an illusion from Palpatine. So I don't even think he thought he was a bad guy. I think he was doing what he thought he possibly could do for the people he loved in a good way. And you know sometimes when you do uh good things for the or you know bad things for the right reason it doesn't always work out and i think that was the case and i don't think he thought shoot i'm turning i'm starting to have these thoughts of like hurting people i'm starting to you know i I think it's more of i i need to gain this power for this good cause i want to save the love of my life and i want to make sure that i can protect us and keep us all safe and then it's just the how he went about it that you know that's why people look at him as the 
as a bad guy, as an evil person, because he did all the bad things, like kill the younglings in the temple, like turn against the Jedi Order, try to kill Obi-Wan, you know, but he didn't do it because he just felt like he wanted to be a menace and, you know, be famous for being uh, the greatest villain ever. He did it because he wanted to, you know, save it. And then at that point, after she did die, I think he was so lost and knew that he wouldn't be accepted back. He just decided to, like, you know, dive into the role. Like, all right, cool. Well, now I am the bad guy that y'all wish I was, and now I've got nothing to live for, so I really don't care. So now I'm just going to fuck everything up since everything close to him. So, you know, I don't know if I answered your question or not. I just don't think, you know, I I think the biggest concern Anakin may have had with uh, Ahsoka is wondering if being a Jedi was right for her, not necessarily because she was going to quit because it was too hard or quit because, or he wanted her to quit because, you know, maybe she was going to turn to the dark side or maybe he saw himself going that route. I don't think that's the case. I think if there was any sort of concern about Ahsoka, it was the fact that her nature, her gentle and kind nature wasn't going to be aligned with what the Jedi has to have to do when the chips are down and their backs against the wall. And, you know, I think that he maybe, maybe question if her mentality and how she viewed things would be able to make the hard choices when necessary. So that, that's what I think on, on that end. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think you brought up a really good point that I didn't even think about for a while was the fact that his real turning point was Padme. Like, I feel like if Padme was still there, which then again, he's the one that can really blame himself for that shit. Like she would have been, I don't even think Padme had turned on him after I wondered that too, right? Which I'll bring that up in a minute. I like, I wonder if she really would have ever taken him back after the whole Jedi temple situation went down if he didn't basically kill her like on Mustafar right that's a whole another question but I think you're right I don't think he saw it coming because it, I mean it truly is a true sad story about Anakin I mean one thing though that makes me think which it really is wondering like this whole gray area with what's uh what choices are correct and what choices are wrong with Jedi versus the dark side, right? Because Obi-Wan said only a Sith speaks in absolutes. And that's kind of what Anakin did, right? Like if you go to the Clone Wars and when he was training Ahsoka, I mean, Ahsoka, like, I mean, I think in a way, based on kind of what we've seen, I don't think he ever feared. He just like, didn't care like it was kind of like one of those things like you either figure out how to do this and follow me or you're gonna be left here just like we saw him train her in purgatory live or die you lack conviction like i don't think it was one of those things where like he doubted her i think it was one of those things where he believed in her so much like he truly like almost like he lacked the whole ability of sensitivity like he didn't have anything like that like he just plain old didn't give a fuck like you figure it out or you either work out or you don't like i know you can do it but you either work out or you don't because i think deep down he knew like i'm not gonna waste my time with you if you can't get through it but i'm going to teach you the hard way so i don't think he ever had for my opinion on this i don't think he ever had a doubt she would get through it but it does make me kind of like wonder 
based on him leaving those recordings, of course he trained her in secret. So I'm assuming that's where that came from because she trained her in secret. It makes me wonder if he would ever had left her anything of like remnants of him if he knew something wasn't going the way he wanted or anything. And I would love to learn more about that. But to answer your question, I do agree with you based on because what you said about Padme. But it also, I wonder the question of what's right, what's wrong in this world? Because as far as the Jedi world, I mean, not our world here. We know what's right and wrong here. (laughs) The Jedi world, because even Hugh Yang said he was intense. And you look at that whole training session, it was absolute after absolute. And Obi-Wan straight up said it. Yeah, otherwise it's a writing problem. And probably one of the most popular, you can argue, one of the most popular works of Star Wars ever, only a Sith speaks in absolutes. And he literally trained her in absolutes from the time she was there to his time where we know what he became to be. Now, I do agree with you 100%. He just embraced the role and was like, fuck it, you made me a monster. You're about to see what a monster is right now. And he just didn't care. Um, but it really makes me wonder, like, what's so wrong about that? Like, I really feel like Anakin, if they embraced what he was and just accepted what he was, he could have really been an excellent Jedi master for her. What are your thoughts on that? And then I'll, I'll let you take over. Well, it's, it's hard because I even think in real life, the, the right and wrong is, it can be very skewed and the, it can be a very gray area. So I think even in the fantasy world, I think what they do a good job of and why it's so relatable and why people like us enjoy watching it is it's almost a seeing a mirror in a way of people being put in situations that you could see yourself being put in, in the real world and kind of seeing the consequences of if you act this way or if you choose a different route, how that could potentially go. So I think it's very hard to determine what's right and what's wrong. Because sometimes, you know, like we were just talking about, you can do the right thing for the wrong reason or you can do the wrong thing for the right reason. You know, very rarely does it align where you do the right thing for the right reason or the wrong thing for the wrong reason. You know, most of the, you know, I don't think everyone's bad. I don't think anyone has the, I never, I don't think people look at themselves and be like, I'm the evil person. I am like, you know, in their mind, everyone thinks they're the good guy. Everyone thinks that. I don't think anyone's ever, you know, I'm trying to think. Yeah. Any of the notoriously people that we consider evil throughout the world you know people who've committed mass murder or genocide I, don't, I think in their minds they've all done something for a reason and they think they did good like even the you know un, un, you know just to bring up an unfortunate incident you know a mass shooting and the when they catch the 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 perpetrator more oftentimes than not they believe they're doing something whether it be for a religious cause or because they think that they're they're cleansing something or they, they in their mind in the person's mind they're doing something like bad for a good cause or a good reason in their own head so they don't ever think anyone views themselves as evil or i'm going here because i'm a bad person so i think that is very hard to determine you know and i just don't i don't know uh, that it's it's hard for me to really expand further from there, just simply for the fact that it's such a gray area. You know, I think anyone could come up with an explanation for their actions, and most people could ma- make someone see how they could get to that point. 
even though they may not agree with the actions that they took, if they explain it and someone allows them to explain and there's a level of understanding, it's like, okay, like, yeah, okay, I get it. This is what you need to do. Like if I, you know, wanted to save my mother and the only way that she could be saved is by taking a kidney and I, you know, rob an organ donor plant and I take that kidney and I put it in her like, yeah, that was wrong because I took that kidney that could potentially be for somebody else who's higher up on the transplant list. But I want to make sure my mom didn't die. So am I a good guy or am I a bad guy? You know, I I may have taken the chance of someone else to live, but I tried to make sure my mom was going to stay alive too. You know what I mean? It's just that's one of those hard examples of like, hey, are you a good person or a bad person? It's hard because sometimes, you know, you try to do something good and you take the wrong action to do it. So yeah, I can't answer that, man. It's just, it's one of those things where it's very subjective and it, it all comes down to, you know, who views it and how they view it. Yeah. Do you think, and then uh, last quick question on that and then we'll close out. Do you think if Anakin didn't train her in secret and somehow, uh, you know, Angie proved, you know, somehow he kind of proved he was a good master with his tactics and training worked well. Do you think Obi-Wan would have ever gotten on board with that before, of course, Anakin committed the atrocities he did? Like, say it's between that time, as you know, even though the Jedi Council would not approve him because they feared the dark side in him, just like Yoda said. Um, do you think Obi-Wan would have ever gotten on board with him training her in secret? Yeah, 100% I think he would have. And the reason I say this is I feel like he gave Anakin a lot of leeway because he believed in him so much and they were so close. They were they viewed each other as brothers, you know? And I, I think he, he probably would have assisted Anakin in going against the Jedi temple ruling of him not being a Jedi master, not having the ability to train, he probably would have assisted Anakin in doing it in secret. I think just because I think they're again, like you mentioned, this is pre him doing the fucked up shit, like killing the young ones at the temple and, you know, uh, siding with Palpatine and, you know, doing the whole thing with Mace Windu out, you know, making sure that that didn't get that. None of that happened. If none of that happened at all. And it was just, you know, a lead in from the clone wars up into the point of the re, Revenge of the Sith, I think for sure that Anakin could have talked Obi-Wan into that. And I think Obi-Wan would have assisted. Not only do I think he would have been on board, I think he would have helped. Yeah, I agree with you too. I think, uh, I mean, Obi-Wan even said it in Revenge of the Sith, not about Ahsoka, but he even said, you know, just give the Jedi Council time. Like, they'll eventually come around. And I think, yeah, you're right. I think eventually, like, I don't think Obi-Wan would have turned to the council, but he definitely would have had Anakin's back because they were so close. But yeah, but that'll let you close us out, man. Good stuff. Yeah, brother. Sounds like a plan. Well, folks, if this is the first time that you've listened to us, we hope you enjoyed what you heard today. And if you've been with us since the very beginning, thank you for continuously being the shields that guard the realms of fantasy. In terms of where to find the show online, we are on all the social sites. You can find us on Instagram at official ridiculous Patronus. You can find us on TikTok at Ridiculous Patronus. We've got a backup Instagram at fact underscore or underscore fantasy, a backup TikTok at fact underscore or underscore fantasy. We've got a Facebook fan page, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. We're on YouTube at Ridiculous Patronus. Uh, we also have our own website, ridiculouspatronus.blogspot.com. You can find us on Twitter, RP Factor Fantasy. You can find us on Snapchat, RP Factor Fantasy. So please go ahead and check out those sites. Kick like, subscribe leave star ratings, leave written reviews. All of the audience engagement really helps us here on the show. And in terms of the show itself and where you can listen to us, 
If you are an Apple user, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. If you're an Android user, we're on Google Play, we're on Spotify, we're on Amazon Music, we're on Audible, we're on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Acast, we're on Podbean, which is our host site. Wherever you get your podcasts, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy are there. We are out for the day. This has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing Signing off. off.